following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Basketball Society. What's going on, everybody? This is Alex Fishbein back with you guys again, of course, on the Atlantic Files. And as always, we are brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com, and we are part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. And I would like to start this off by saying Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas Eve, Merry Christmas, Uh, Not Happy New Year yet, because we're going to have another episode before the New Year, so obviously I can tell you guys that when we have that episode, but like I said, hope you guys are having a great holiday so far. I hope your Christmas Eve is filled with plenty of joy, plenty of, you know, sitting around the table with the, the family and having a great time, and I hope you have an equally good time on Christmas as well as Christmas Eve. So... To start things off today, I, over the last few days here, have been studying a lot of Toronto Raptors game tape because they are the best team in the Atlantic for over the month of December. They they have been the best team. Um, they are pretty close to Boston in terms of record. They are 23 and 8 while Boston is 27 and 9. Actually, what am I doing here? We we should start by with the standings, right? So we got Boston in first place at 27 and 9. We have Toronto in second place at 23 and 8. We have the Knicks in third at 17 and 15. The Sixers in fourth at 14 and 18 and Brooklyn in fifth at 12 and 20. So, As I was saying, Toronto has been the best team uh, so far in December out of all of the teams in the Atlantic. In their last 10 games, they are 9-1. And if we're talking about in the month of December, they are... I don't know if you can hear that drum roll or not, but you know. Uh, They're 10-1. (laughs) <laughs> so, I mean, there hasn't really been that many other games other than the last 10. So, yes, they are 10-1 and one in December, whereas in November they were 9-5, and five, and in October they were 4-2. and two. But so far in December, they have only lost one game. If you go all the way back to December 11th, that is their last loss against, of all teams, the Los Angeles Clippers. I say of all teams because when you think about a team who is going, you know, 10-1 and one in the month, you wouldn't really pick the Clippers as the first team that comes to mind and the team that would have beaten them. But even though they didn't have Blake Griffin, 
And even though they don't have Patrick Beverly, and Tio Dosic was their starting point guard, and Wesley Johnson still their starting small forward, you know, they ended up losing that game. But before we talk about the only loss, let's talk about what they've been doing well this month. So I, I was looking at a lot of different players trying to break down what exactly was going well, what exactly were they doing more often, and how were they different from last season. Now, as far as the difference from last season, there really isn't a huge difference. Uh, one of the biggest differences is that they're going with small ball more often now that they have Ibaka. They're putting Ibaka at the five, and they're running with a lot of guards trying to pick up the pace, trying to get a lot more pick-and-roll action and get things started at the top of the key to really open up the rest of the floor and kind of suck the defense into the paint and try and kick it out like a lot of teams have been doing. Uh, one big factor uh, that contributed to the fact that Toronto is doing well in December is the fact that Abaka has been playing much better himself. Um, in December, he's shooting almost 60% from the floor, almost 60% from three. He's averaging almost 19 points per game compared to about 11 or 12 points per game, uh, which was his averages in about uh, in October, November. He's been much, much more aggressive early on as well. He has, you know, they, they get him the ball in the, the foul line extended area. He is good at that, that mid-range game and, and stretching a little out, uh, out to three a little bit as well. But he's getting guys to bite on pump fakes. He's using that pump fake to get himself to the rim. Or they have been, they have even set up plays where they get it to him in, in the mid-range. They set a pick for him, and he just drives straight to the hoop. Doesn't look any other way. He's going straight to the hoop, head down. No one's going to stop him. And what I've seen so far is that he's gotten dunks out of this. He's gotten, just by putting his head down and taking the big man off the dribble, he gets to the rim and dunks it on his head most of the time other times he'll get a finger roll and he's skilled enough to get that to go in and uh, and other than that he usually gets fouled if if either of those don't work um one thing going forward is i do want to see him kind of work on passing out of that if teams start to recognize the fact that he is more aggressive and he's trying to get his trying to get his shot at the rim right away off of that that screen action or even off of the pump fake um then I, I would love to see him start facilitating it more as well there, there were a couple times where he either dropped it down low if Valanchunas was playing next to him or he would pass it out to the corner um it, but but it was very rare that he did so because uh, like out of what I've saw or what I've seen he was getting to the rim so in that case you don't need to pass it. <laughs> if you're if you're getting there, you're able to get that dunk or you're able to get that layup, then no, don't kick it out at that point. Get your easy bucket and, you know, keep it moving. But it, it it's going to say a lot when teams start doing their homework and they start seeing, hey, wait, Abaka's just trying to get to the rim. He's not looking up. He's not looking really to pass the ball. If we either stay home on the pump fake or if we help uh, with a help defender and trap him before he can get to the rim, we might be able to get a turnover out of him because we don't know what his passing ability is like. So you kind of want to bank on that kind of thing to be to say, hey, if we get if we get guys down there to disrupt that, what is his next move? Because we've only seen it a few times. So we're not positive that it's going to work every single time. And hey, 
getting something that you might you might get a turnover out of compared to him just getting looks at the rim all the time. Yeah, you probably want to take your chance on that. <laughs> and even even if he does pass out to guys at the three-point line, as a defense, you probably would also rather give up a three-point shot than a look at the rim because we all know the higher percentage shot in that case. And, I mean, it also depends on who he's kicking it out to because there are plenty of guys on the Raptors that really aren't that great at three-point shooters. Now, that that brings me to my point about DeRozan is over the last few games he's been scoring at a very high clip he had one of his uh highest games of the season against the Sixers uh he had 40 I think it was 40 41 points he had 41 points against the Sixers um but the the last two or three games he also had career highs in three-pointers made Against the Sixers, he shot six for nine from three-point, which is something you almost never see DeRozan do. One of the biggest knocks on DeRozan is that, yes, he's a very good shooting guard. Yes, he's a very he's a, a decent defender. Yes, he can facilitate. Yes, he can get to the rim, and he can get to the foul line. But in this day and age where three-point shooting is key, where three-point shooting rules all, he wasn't much of a three-point shooter. That was always the biggest knock on him, is that he can do all this stuff, but he can't shoot three, so people like to write him off. Me, yes, I also have commented very much so on his three-point shooting, and I attributed the fact that they haven't gotten far in the playoffs to the fact that they, that he couldn't shoot threes because they, don't, they didn't have to really move out on him on pick-and-roll situations, which is also a reason why last season you saw most of the pick-and-rolls going to Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry was the one running most of the pick-and-rolls because he was a threat to just hit a three right off the pick, or he could get around the pick and facilitate the ball by getting into the lane, or he could pull up from mid-range, or he could get to the hoop. Lowry can do a lot of things from a lot of different levels on the court. But DeRozan is kind of like when, well, it's not to the extreme factor of like a Rondo or a Ben Simmons where these guys are off the pick and roll, they're going under the screen and still giving them like five feet of room. He's not that bad. He's not, he, he's not at the point where he's reluctant to shoot the three. He will shoot it, and this season at least, more often than not, he'll make it. But... The fact of the matter is, in past seasons, they could give him the room, and so it was forcing him to shoot threes, and that was getting him out of his funk, and it, it was it was bad for the offense in, in in total. This year, he is shooting threes off of the screens. They're actually running more pick and rolls for DeRozan and letting him handle the ball more while Kyle Lowry plays off the ball more, which is a subtle difference, I think, in their offense this season compared to last season. Yes, last season DeRozan still did handle the ball a lot. I understand that. But like I said, a lot of the pick and rolls, a lot of that kind of two-man game action was going more towards the direction of Kyle Lowry rather than DeRozan. Because, like I said, these guys are giving him enough room and he's not shooting the three at a high enough clip to really do enough damage or really um, make the defense honest. But now that he's improved that, now that he's made over 10 threes in the last, you know, three, four games, this is something that defenses will have to step out on. And when they're doing that, he's using, you know, like, okay, so... Watching all this game tape has just further kind of cemented it in my mind 
that in terms of footwork, I think DeRozan is at least top three in the league. At least top three. In terms of footwork, if you watch uh, the, the footwork that DeRozan has when he is playing in the high post, when he does uh, take any other guards into the low post, when he gets into the lane and draws fouls, that like if you just watch his footwork, you can learn a lot. For any any young uh, basketball player that that is trying, like any young guard basketball player that is trying to learn exactly how to dominate his defender from the outside and the inside, I would really, really, really recommend watching DeRozan because if you learn his footwork, if you learn his subtle moves in the paint that is that that allows him to draw fouls, one, they're very Harden-esque. We talk about James Harden a lot in, in, in the ability to, to draw fouls, to get to the foul line, but you know, people don't talk about DeRozan a lot when it comes to that, and he gets himself to the line a lot. Like, he he has his games where he's going to the line 20-sometimes a game. Like, he gets, he he makes getting 30 points look effortless because a ton of those come from the line as well. And while people say, oh, you know, that's, that, like, that's all well and good that he's getting these, like, 25, 30-point games, but if it's all from the line, it's, like, not as good. That's just stupid. Uh, just right off the bat, I can tell you that right now. But since the 2013-2014 season, which was his first All-Star season, he has averaged eight free throw attempts a game ex- in all of those seasons except one where he averaged 7.2. And on top of that, while averaging at least eight free throw attempts per game, he's shooting it at like, like his free throw percentages were 82, 83, 85, 84. This year it's 81 and he's shooting 8.2 free throw attempts per game. This is a guy who's getting to the line with consistency every single game, night in and night out. This guy is, you know, when you're getting a bulk of your points at the line, then it really does allow you to to sustain that kind of energy over the entire game on the offensive end because he's not putting forth too much effort in trying to, you know, free himself every single play, free himself in the lane, free himself in mid-range, whatever it may be. And he's really thriving off of that kind of thing. Also this season, he's he has his highest three-point percentage yet at 34.1. Yes, I know it's only 34%, but with a guy who hasn't been good at three-pointers, like, over his entire career to even have it sustaining around 34 35% is a big accomplishment. His best season other than this uh was 33.8 which was 2 seasons ago and he was only attempting 1.83s a game. He's attempting one more 3-point attempt uh per game at 2.8 and he's this is the first time he's actually averaging one made 3-pointer a game. <laughs> I know that's that's kind of crazy to hear and and you're like why is this good? You're acting like this is good. And I'm I'm not saying that he's on Steph Curry level. I'm not saying he'll ever even get to that level. But in the fact that he went from his rookie season averaging 0.1 made threes a game and 0.2 attempted per game at a 25% three-point clip to now is a decent growth. Um, and that's all while, like, this year, he's attempting three less shots per game, 
but almost making the same amount per game. And he's at a 49.3% from the floor. 49.3. And he's at at about 34% from three. So, like, those are, like, some of the best percentages that, that you would want from, especially your star player. These are percentages that, you know, a lot of people... Uh, praise LeBron for having for a while and so like this is something that is just really giving DeRozan more and more uh, um, reason to continuously be an all-star especially in the east Uh, and so back to some of the game tape that I've been watching here so when they were facing the Charlotte Hornets uh, they they were running a, a pick and roll with DeRozan almost every other possession. Sometimes there there was at one point they did it like five possessions in a row, and he either scored or assisted the bucket every single time. I mean, this guy he he's pulling up at the foul line, foul line extended area. He's getting to the rim, and he does. You know how when we watch James Harden and he does that thing where he kind of shows the ball for a quick second, the guy slaps at it and he brings it back and gets that foul. DeRozan does this too in a very, very subtle way. Like we see uh, uh, Harden do it all the time because he does it with his Euro step and it's very exaggerated. But they they showed a few of these drives in slow motion when DeRozan was heading towards the hoop. He takes his first step, reaches, reaches the ball out in front of him with both hands, but he keeps it low. The guys start swiping for it as, he, as the, uh, he's driving towards the hoop. As soon as they swipe, he pulls it right through. They completely miss the ball and smack across his arms, and he gets that foul call every single time. And this is something that DeRozan definitely deserves a lot of respect for, and you definitely have to bring him up in the conversation of guys who know how to draw fouls and get themselves to the line when it matters most. Now, the big difference going forward is that Will they call that in the playoffs? Because there are many times that we see they don't call it in the playoffs uh, just because they kind of tend to let the guys play more in the playoffs because everybody's watching. It's on national TV. You want the refs to continue the the game flow or the, the flow of the game. And you want to, you don't want to see all the stopped action and free throws all the time. So that that's more uh, something that that is in terms of like entertainment value is why you don't see it as often. That's also why we haven't seen Harden get as far as we would think he would get in the playoffs as well, because there's a lot of times in those games that he's not getting the fouls that he usually gets. So. What I recommend is that you definitely watch DeRozan's footwork. And you definitely watch how he draws fouls in the paint because they really are something to behold and it's great. The 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 thing that I also like about Toronto is that in these pick and rolls that DeRozan is running, it's with various different teammates as the screener. It's not just the big man. Because there was there were even times where they're running a pick and roll where DeRozan's the ball handler and Kyle Lowry is the screener and Lowry actually sets a solid screen and DeRozan gets around it, gets right past, you know, rubs elbows with him as you should when you're getting around the screen and Lowry pops out for the three, wide open three, bang, almost every time because if you haven't been watching Lowry, he's a very, very good three-point shooter, usually shooting around 40%. And so that kind of thing that you, if you can do that with Lowry and then do the same exact thing with Ibaka 
and even get a three out of Ibaka or even have Ibaka rush the rim and get him in there for a lob, that that's huge because you the defense has to play these pick and rolls completely different if you're having different guys set the screen all the time. We've seen teams like the Sixers where Ben Simmons is running the pick and roll with Joel Embiid or Rashawn Holmes. It's almost always the big guy or even JJ Redick is running a pick and roll with Joel Embiid. They know how to cover that. They know JJ might just shoot a three on the run or they're going to give it to Embiid and he's going to pump fake and then try and get in the lane. They know that almost every time like teams can read that easily. That's a big difference between teams like the Sixers who are under 500 now and they're and they're struggling a lot compared to teams like the Raptors who have these guys that are so versatile that you can throw anybody in there for a screen and it's going to work even guys like Valanchunas who can rush towards the rim off of the screen who can cut off the man get in front of him and know how to make that 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 efficient cut towards the in like into the lane that is something that is big and that is a reason why their offense isn't the easiest to guard um now uh, another guy that is impressing me so far has been Van Vliet he's been gaining a ton more confidence uh we like last season um well not even last season but even in the er, uh the beginning of this season we weren't seeing him really take threes off of the screen uh he wasn't pulling up really for, uh, on, on a pick and roll in the pick and roll situation he really was kind of looking to pass more often or he would try and get to the rim and he was just like in a mismatch a lot of the times but now we're seeing him pull up from three, knock it down off of the pick and roll. We're seeing him, you know, fake towards the way of the screen, go the other way, have that guy slip off the screen and get him and hit him with a bounce pass. We're seeing his confidence grow, and in turn, that's making the offense run more efficiently when he's the ball handler in a pick and roll situation. Another guy gaining a lot more confidence is OG Anunobi. I know you guys have heard me talk about him before. He he continues to impress me the way he's been growing in this role that he's in right now, especially with CJ Miles when he was out because um his his wife gave birth. You know, OG was really giving them a great outlet shooter in the corners on the wing he was able to be that guy you know the the outlet guy from the pick and roll and he was reliable on top of that his defense has been great um he's given them a lot of valuable defensive possessions and I think going forward he's going to be one of the most important you know role players on the team um so one more thing about DeMar DeRozan is that his passing ability and his playmaking ability is pretty underrated. Nobody really talks about him in terms of his passing. Nobody really talks about how he can get creative with his passing and get guys open uh, off of those pick and roll situations. But if you watch, if you just watch DeMar DeRozan, like I've been saying, you will see that he finds ways to get his teammate open. There was plenty of times where they're in the pick and roll, the big man slips the screen, but he's still kind of covered. So what he did is he did a Euro step, but he did it in the direction of the big man's defender in turn cutting off that defender and then flipping it back to the big man who's now open for a layup or a dunk that's something that is very that that's like a high iq kind of play that's not something that guys just kind of learn willy-nilly that's something that that he has noticed and he has worked on and he can get himself into that situation and 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 
really elevate his team's play. Um, so that's something that I also recommend you guys watch if you're watching the Raptors or if you're watching DeMar DeRozan is definitely look for his passing ability. Um, so going to the only loss they've had this month against the Clippers, there really wasn't much in there that I could say was, uh, like tactically wrong with their approach against the Clippers. They were playing some good defense. They were getting into the passing lanes. They were stealing the ball. They were capitalizing on a lot of their mistakes, but the whole team was cold except for Valanciunas. Everyone was missing wide open shots. Kyle Lowry was missing wide open threes. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, he, he was still getting to the foul line, but he was missing the shots in the lane that he usually makes, even his mid-range shots. Abaka kind of was just, you know, kept shooting, kept shooting, kept shooting until he finally was making some. And it really, like, I really chalked that one up to just a cold night. That's really all that was against the Clippers because they weren't doing anything special to beat them. It's not like one guy really, like, destroyed the Raptors or anything. It's not like uh, they were playing particularly lockdown defense because they got plenty of open looks. It just, like I said, was a cold night, and there's really not much you can do about it. But that's it for me on the Raptors. Um, one thing I wanted to do, we we did uh, this, we, we tweeted out this thing on Basketball Society asking people, if you could give your favorite team one gift for Christmas, what would it be? So I want to give a gift for each team of the Atlantic. So we'll start with the bottom and we'll go up for the Nets. My gift to them is obviously going to be their own first round draft pick, <laughs> their own pick where they can actually pick where they, they deserve to pick after finishing in the bottom of the league for so many years in a row now, my gift to them would be their very own, their very own first round draft pick. Like, just imagine that, Brooklyn fans. Like, you, it's your own pick. It's not someone else's. It's not one that you had to trade for, and it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, re-gifted, uh, as per se. And it's not a trade, it's not a, a pick swap, so it's not like, oh, it's not like a white elephant where they trade your gift and then you gotta go pick up something else. No, no, no. It's your own pick. I know it's big. I know it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about, but uh, that's the gift I would give them. For the Sixers, the gift I would give to them is a deeper bench. Their starters usually can, you know, really hang with the best teams in the league. But their bench, as soon as they come in, it's just, it's like, you know, they're riding high, riding high. Embiid's doing good. Simmons is getting people open. Uh, J.J. Reddick could have an all-night, might have an off-night. Uh, Covington, same thing. You know, those guys are, uh, Dario Sarch is making some hustle plays. And then the bench starts coming in, it's like, and it just, you know, the, the starters really open up a lead. The bench guys come in. You try and get Simmons and Embiid some rest because they're playing tons of minutes. But as soon as you give both of them rest, the team kind of just, you know, falls apart every single time. And then they give up another 20-point lead. And then they lose. And then everyone asks for Brett Brown's head, saying his rotations make no sense. And they think that the world is going to end just because they're not going to win the championship in the first year that they finally have all their people well, they don't even have all their people. They're all hurt. Um, actually, hold on. Let me retract that gift. My real gift is a good training staff. That's my real gift for them. A good training staff. And you can all on honestly understand why. For the Knicks, my gift for the Knicks would be continuity. 
it would be well it's a, it's a two-part gift continuity and new ownership they have needed new ownership honestly for a long time i mean even knicks fans agree with that they've needed new ownership for a long long time continuity in the fact that so that you know they can actually get into a groove know that this is going to be the gm the coach whatever and that they can start to just figure out, you know, just work on purely basketball and not have to worry about the drama behind every single interview, behind every single tweet, behind every single missed uh, end-of-the-year interview, blah, blah, blah. Just give them some continuity for once. That's it. Um, my gift for the Raptors would be solid playoff performances from both Lowry and DeRozan. We all know why. We all know why. And then my gift for the Celtics would be a clean bill of health for Gordon Hayward. Uh, he is getting better, though. It's very promising to see his um, his healing process and how fast that is coming along. But, uh, you know, that would honestly be the best thing for them right now, especially if they're really trying to compete for that championship right away. And we do have an out of bounds segment because I just I like this, I just need to get this off my chest right now. I hate putting together furniture, guys. Putting together furniture is probably like the biggest pet peeve of mine ever. Putting together furniture with all these steps that sometimes are in different languages, and then they're like step one. Do this, 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 and this. I'm like, all right, come on. That's not step one. That's five steps. You just put it into step one to make us think there aren't that many steps so that we're not discouraged from putting together your furniture. Like, don't don't try and play us like that, Ikea, Raymore and Flanagan, or Walmart, or Best Buy. Don't try and play us like that. We know that these steps are really like 35 steps long. You just stick seven to ten steps inside one step. Come on now, don't don't even give us that. <laughs> like, I'm trying to put together this futon that I bought from Walmart. And this thing, like the first step was like, you got to screw five joints together, put them together, and then put them onto the frame. That, does that sound like one step to you? That's not one step. Come on now. <laughs> like be honest here and then i got a tv stand that's just been sitting there because i don't even know if i feel like putting it together the very first step is like put uh put some lock screws into 11 different panels that's one step that's 11 steps in one and it said that technically there's 11 steps total but no you you got 11 steps in step one my man that is too much too much there needs to be a service that people come and put together the furniture for you because i mean look i can't fit an entire couch into the front door of this apartment building to actually get it up to my apartment so i have to buy something that comes in a box and i have to put it together but if there was someone that charged like i don't know 20 to 30 bucks uh, uh per piece of furniture to put it together i'd probably pay them i probably would I mean, I probably can find a friend who would do it for 20 to 30 bucks, but, you know, I, I'm not going to, especially on Christmas, be like, hey, can I pay 20 bucks to go put this furniture together because I'm lazy? <laughs> well, you know. Anyway, that's it for me, guys. 
again, I hope you have a great holiday. I hope you have a uh, a very Merry Christmas Eve, a very Merry Christmas, and a, a Happy New Year coming up for all of you that do celebrate Christmas. Um, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you check out BasketballSocietyOnline.com. And make sure you check out the other podcasts on the Underdog Podcast Network. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week. Peace!